Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Just Blank Now What the podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Stevens. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me for another Now What Wednesday and tuning in to hear these awesome stories from these amazing guests who have really overcome some really epic challenges and figured out how to move on from there. And today's guest is exactly this person. Sarah Bolton is going to be sharing her I Just Lost the Use of My Hands, Now What? story. Yes, I want you to imagine losing the functionality of your hands right now. So whatever you're doing, whether you're driving, you're cutting up carrots and potatoes for dinner, you're texting on your phone, you're typing away on your keyboard, I want you to think about your hands and what you're doing right now and what it would feel like if they suddenly became the weight of cinder blocks and you could not grip or grasp anything with them. That would have a pretty big impact on your life and your livelihood, I'm sure. So Sarah's going to be sharing her story of what happened when that happened to her and how she had to figure out a new path for herself as her money makers, as she likes to call them, her hands were no longer available to her as a cosmetologist and esthetician. So without further ado, we are going to hear from Sarah and her amazing story of losing the functionality of her hands and what she did. So let's get to the now what. Have you ever had a situation happen in your life that you weren't expecting, good or bad, and said to yourself or out loud, oh my gosh, I just fill in the blank, now what? Me too, friend, me too. I've had quite a few actually, and in the moment, I never knew what I was gonna do next. Of course, I had to figure it out, sometimes the hard way, but I did figure it out. So join me and some amazing guests this season as we all share our own, I just blank now what stories so we can all learn from their transformational lessons to help us all answer that lifelong and often paralyzing question now what thank you for joining me on the show so excited to have you here and i'm really really excited for you to share your very inspiring story of i just lost the use of my hands now what you know, when we connected the first time and chatted a little bit and you told me a little bit about your story, I was like, oh my goodness. So before we jump into the full story, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about you? Who is Sarah Bolton? Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, my name is Sarah Bolton. I am a resilience coach and I work with people with invisible illnesses. And prior to coaching, I guess this is where the story begins. Mm -hmm. I was working as a hairstylist and an esthetician at a couple different salons and spas. I've had my cosmetology license for going on I think six years now. And I had just been hired at a new salon and I found myself in a blow drying class. It was just about lunchtime. We were finishing up for the morning and the educator asked me to complete two more blow dry styles on my doll head, my mannequin head. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I became unable to pull the brush through the hair and I was holding the blow dryer in the other hand. And suddenly it felt like I was carrying a bag of cinder blocks. It felt so heavy. Didn't know what was happening. And I told my educator, you know, I don't know what to do, but I can't do this right now. Like literally lost the use of your hands. (laughs) Yeah. 
So they were cramping up a bit and felt very heavy and just lifting my hands above my shoulders was impossible for me at that time. Oh, wow. What happened? Like, you know, <laughs> that, that was your first, I guess, I guess, is episode the right word to describe it? Yeah. Well, long story short, I went to various doctors, had lots of tests done, neurologists, ophthalmologists, various specialists trying to figure out what was happening here. And I finally received a diagnosis and I was diagnosed with a rare neuromuscular disease called myasthenia gravis. This condition impacts the muscles in my body. And for me specifically, it impacts my hands a lot. I experience sudden episodes of muscle weakness. So I can be totally fine one moment. And then the next moment I have mobility difficulties and challenges. So it could be something as simple as you're in the kitchen, you pick up the bowl of dinner or dish and you're walking to the dinner table and there's a chance that you actually might not make it to the table and your hands will just give out on you. Yeah. So at the time, I didn't realize that this was all connected to other things I had experienced. This was mm -hmm. just the most noticeable episode. But looking back, I can now see that there were a lot of different things that had happened. And I kind of put everything together once I received the diagnosis. So another thing that happens to me a lot is one of my eyelids gets very droopy on one side they call it ptosis. Mm -hmm. So it's a drooping eyelid and I am trying to open my eye, but the muscles around my eyelid are not working. They're experiencing the weakness. And so I get this droopy eye on one side of my face. It sometimes impacts the muscles in my face too. So, mm -hmm. you know, the RBF, I sometimes experience the RBF, the resting, you know what? <laughs> resting biatch face sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And people will ask, you know, are you having a good time? Are you okay? Is everything all right? And I'll say, no, I'm, I'm smiling. I'm smiling. But my, my face is just... Yeah. The, mus the muscles are not doing what your brain is telling it to do, <laughs> essentially. Exactly. There's lots of weird quirks, but I didn't connect all of the pieces back then. I just noticed my hands aren't working. I don't know what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Something is not right. So you're saying like all the twitching of your eye or the droopy eye and some of your facial muscles, you were having those even before the episode at beauty school when you <laughs> couldn't use the blow dryer. So those were like, little hints that you just didn't realize were yeah. hints. Oh my gosh. How yeah. long were those going on for before you actually had your hand? Yeah. I was experiencing symptoms here and there for four years. And okay. I had originally gone to see a doctor about my eye and they sent me to an ophthalmologist, optometrist. They thought, oh, maybe your eyesight needs some correction. Maybe you need glasses. And they couldn't seem to figure out what was happening. So it was about four years from when I experienced symptoms to mm -hmm. when I finally got the diagnosis. And I that think, is a long time to wait. Yeah, definitely. And then how long was it from when you had that, you know, major episode with your hands to diagnosis? Was it four years or was it a little bit less than that? I would say it was a few months. 
Um, oh, okay. So that was kind of like the thing that they could finally look at and say, there is definitely something going on here. Yeah. And I think within myself too, I doubted myself, you know, when I had gone to the eye doctor and my general provider, they said, oh, you know, you might, might just be stressed or tired or try doing some yoga or taking it easy for a bit. And I started keeping a log. I think that was the thing that switched Mm -hmm. for me after the hand episode at the salon. I started keeping a log of all of my symptoms and when I was experiencing them and what times of day. And I realized that there would be something every single day, whether it was my eye or my hands or my facial muscles or my voice, my speech becoming slurred. So there was something. Mm-hmm. And so I finally couldn't ignore it anymore. I think was that was the turning point. And I'm not making this up. It's not just all in my head. There is something here. And so at that point, I became very persistent and had to advocate for myself that maybe this test, nothing shows in the test, but you need to continue running more tests because there's something that's not quite right here. Wow. I'm sorry that you kind of experienced people explaining away your symptoms, right? And, you know, downplaying or kind of telling you that it was all in your head. So good for you for advocating for yourself and, and trusting and like your intuition being like, no, something is not right here. So after your diagnosis, you know, this is huge for you. I'm imagining, especially after four plus years of little things adding up and happening to you. What was that like for you? Finally knowing that there was actually something going on. Yeah. So I remember I got a call back from my doctor, my neurologist, and they said, Hey, we would like to do a follow-up appointment with you. And I knew that there was something special about this appointment because I had done several tests before and never gotten a call back like this. And so I went into the doctor, you know, hoping that there would be some answers for me. And sure enough, uh, the doctor said, pulled me into the back room and said, you know, I have some news for you. I have bad news and good news. The bad news is that there is evidence to show that you have a condition called myasthenia gravis. Other bad news is that there is no cure for this condition. It can be a lifelong chronic condition. The good news is that there is some medications and treatments that can help you improve your quality of life and help you function day to day. And there are some people who experience uh, remission, which is, you know, not experiencing any symptoms from this. And so here are some of the medications. And he said, you know, one of the medications that we recommend that you get started on, you will take four to six times per day, and I will help your quality of life. And the one bad thing about it is that some people experience some side effects from it, one of which is loose stools. And at that point, I jumped in the air with glee. I was so excited just to have an answer. Mm -hmm. And the doctor looked at me like, quite confused. Like, Most stools. people are kind of not so happy about that piece of information, right? I said, I don't care. I have some answers. 
I will wear a diaper if I can have the use of my hands back and a better quality of life. So I was very excited about that part. Good. Okay. So you, I guess you've been on this medication since, you know, that, that, that day in which you got it and has it helped you with your quality of life? Yeah, definitely. I'm really grateful for it. And, you know, I still, I take the medication every two and a half to three hours each day. So I I kind of feel like this Cinderella character, like my body might suddenly turn back into a pumpkin at some point, but it's definitely helped and made life manageable as I transition forward into what does my life look like from here? Yeah. So I guess this is where we get into like the now what part of your story. So how long ago was that diagnosis? This is uh, two and a half years ago. Okay. And so how has your life changed in the last two and a half years? Yeah. So about a year ago, I was, I needed to step away from the salon. I had, you know, continued on for a bit. Medication was helping and being supportive, but I reached a point where, you know, working behind the chair all the time and have to lift the hair up into the proper cutting position. And if your hands don't work or they start not cooperating mid client, that's kind of problematic. So yeah. And you're dealing with sharp tools, right? You have razors (laughs) in your hand, you have scissors in your hand. Absolutely not the best idea to do. Yeah. And so I stepped away from my job and I thought, you know, now what? And you know, working as a hairdresser, people would sit in my chair and they would tell me all these things about their lives and what they were up to. And they'd vent to me about their problems and their relationships. And they call hairstylists, therapists. I don't know if you've ever heard the term, but I got to thinking, you know, what if I could still engage with my clients and provide them the space to work through that stuff? everything going on in their lives and be able to impact their lives, maybe in an even more profound way. I loved helping people feel good about themselves and feel beautiful and confident in their own skin. And what I found with coaching is that I'm able to, I have the tools now to support them in a new way where they get to take a look at themselves and do the inner work inside themselves so that they can be confident and beautiful inside and on the outside as well. Ah, amazing. I, I love that. I think definitely hairstylists are that person for a lot of people that, you know, they sit in your chair and they just kind of can pour their heart out to you. Interestingly enough, I think it was just yesterday or the day before I was, I heard some news article saying that hair stylist in one of the states, I think it's Tennessee, actually has to go through uh, some sort of special training to be able to pick up and identify when somebody is experiencing potentially like violence at home or something. Because Mm -hmm. as you said, like they start talking. And so apparently they have to go through this course now to be licensed they have to go through this certification to be able to support the people in their chair in case they're going to share things about their life that they need you know, help with. Yeah. I haven't heard of that. And I think that's really important 
Yeah. So yeah, look that up. I can't remember <laughs> what news channel I was listening to, but I think it was Tennessee. So definitely something to look into, which I think is fantastic. So you kind of, you started that for yourself, you know, a little, a while ago and, and went out and got the learning and the training to, to be a coach, to help people in a different way. Oh my gosh. It's so beautiful. So tell me about the work that you do with other people with, I guess you said it was called invisible illnesses. Yeah. So I think what I've learned through this experience is that not all disabilities are evident on the outside. Mm -hmm. So if you see a person who has a wheelchair, you might, you might, you know, oh, they're a disabled person. It's, it's very clear. It's visible to Mm -hmm. you, but a lot of conditions like mine are invisible. So I hear this term a lot within the community that's invisible not imaginary so we're not we're not making it up in our heads there is something going on and I think I've learned a lot of compassion and empathy that you never know what someone else is experiencing just because they look they look totally well healthy able-bodied on the outside they might be Mm -hmm. dealing with some kind of challenges on the inside and so the work that I do is really about well, coaching with people. So Mm -hmm. we have conversations about their lives and where they're headed. And it's kind of this continued conversation of now what? I know when I got the diagnosis, I had to really consider what am I going to do next? I've invested a lot of time and energy into my career and my training and my education. And all of a sudden it's kind of taken out from under me. I I'm not able to do that kind of work anymore. So the work that I do with people is helping them redesign their lives so that their diagnosis is not the end for them, that they can continue to move forward in their lives and live a fulfilling, uplifting, healthy, beautiful life full of joy and that their condition isn't the end. Ah, yeah, that's so great. And definitely a group that needs support in ways that you fully understand. And there's two schools of thought of like, when picking a coach or, or somebody to support you in your life is picking somebody who is living the life or going through the same experience as you who can really say, I've been there, I've done that versus, you know, coaching with others, which also great, but if they don't have that same lived experience, it's a little bit harder. So I'm sure your clients have such a connection with you because you are actually living there every day with them. Yeah. It's funny that you brought that up too, because I always like to share with people before I work with them, the differences between consulting and therapy and coaching. And yeah, I'm not a consultant in that I'm not there to give advice or tell them what they need to do. I believe that they have the answers all within them and that Mm -hmm. they are whole and complete just the way they are. And I think, like you said, working with a coach, it is very personal and intimate. And you're talking about things that are, you know, very vulnerable. And so working with someone that understands your experience and what you've been through and what you're going through. I think it is really supportive and empowering. Did you have somebody like that when you got your diagnosis? Was there somebody that you got to turn to or is it you decided to do this because it's the person you actually wish was there for you? 
Yeah, I'd been working with a coach prior to this and I had seen the impact that coaching had had on my life personally. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't say that my coach had the same lived experience, but just the framework of coaching in general was really helpful. I've also I've also gone back to therapy and have had to work through some of the grief that had come up, you know, the loss of the life that I thought that I was supposed to have. And that's something that I didn't ever expect through all of this. Okay. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit more. I think <laughs> okay. there might be some other people who don't realize that what they're going through is actually grief for the loss of a life that they thought they would have, or, you know, could have been, would have been, should have been. And now they're in a whole different space, but there's still like grief attached to that. So yeah. Talk to me about that experience. Yeah. So when I started going back to therapy, you know, I was talking about going back to some of the old jobs or the old work that I had done prior to, and I had to come to terms with the fact that, you know, I might not be able to go back to work in the salon again. As tough of a pill to swallow that was, it was true Mm -hmm. and the reality of the situation. And I think moving through the grieving process, we tend to think of grief as loss. Immediately when I think of grief, I think of of someone that you know and loved has passed away. And this is a different kind of grief that I didn't really associate with grief. And my therapist brought it up one day during our conversation. And, you know, like Charlie Brown says, good grief, grief is good. It's good to grieve. It's healthy. It's a natural progression moving forward. And the final stages of grief is acceptance, which means you're able to accept what is so so that it's not dragging you down and disempowering to you. That is such a good reframe for what people might be experiencing. It's like breaking up with somebody, right? It's like this relationship that you had with your career is ending. Yeah. And I think a lot of our career and our work life tends to be folded in with our part of our identity and how we relate to ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I always think of myself, you know, oh, I'm a hairstylist. Oh, but I'm I'm not not anymore. anymore. Yeah, that's great. How was that process for you? Like, was it when you first decided you were going to walk away from hairstyling? You know, what kind of emotions did you go through? Yeah, frustration was one of the number one emotions that kept coming up and, and still comes up from time to time. You know, I I set my alarm, I wake up in the morning, I'm getting ready for work. And then all of a sudden I'm trying to style my own hair so that I look presentable at work and I can't even curl my hair or flat iron it because the flat iron is too heavy in my hands. And I'm really feeling angry and betrayed by my own body. Like, come on body, like we're, we're doing this together. Come on, we're getting ready for work. And yet we're not on the same page. (laughs) It feels like. And that's could be like a daily thing for you, right? Yeah. Wow. 
so what's your relationship with your body now? I've actually kind of come to terms with the fact that sometimes my body won't cooperate and it's not that it's not cooperating. Maybe it's just trying to tell me something like maybe I need some more rest. Maybe I need to take a break. Maybe I have a lot of stressful things in my life that I need to, you know, set some boundaries and say no to some things and can't do everything. And I am more in tune, I would say, with what are the things that help my body and support me and make me feel good. And sometimes I just need to take a break and accept that, you know, I can't be going, going, going all the time. Mm -hmm. Is stress something that actually triggers your condition? Yeah. Stress and heat. Some people experience flares in the cold as well. I tend to do better in cooler climates. The heat definitely impacts me. I was out in the Midwest uh, this summertime and I spent most of the time indoors in the air-conditioned room because going outside even for just a few minutes to take out the trash or go out to the garden for a few minutes. It the humidity levels were just like, like, <laughs> yeah, I could oh, feel wow. all the energy being sucked out of me and feeling the weakness coming on. So yeah. is it a full body experience for you or is it kind of just limited to your hands and your face and and your and your eyes or is it like it can happen anywhere yeah it's the voluntary muscles in the body it uh, could become quite extreme so some people go into what's called a myasthenic crisis and the weakness can impact the muscles that control our breathing and so people will have really difficulty breathing or aspirating, choking on their own saliva, just gasping for breath because the muscles are just very weak. Is it similar to those people who have food allergies where they eat something one time and they know what their reaction will be, but the next time it could be 10 times more dramatic and they just don't know if the next time is the next time where they're going to be anaphylactic or it's just going to be a rash, like, is that the same thing for you? You just don't know if it's going to be very unpredictable. I would say I, I personally have been lucky or fortunate not to have experienced a crisis. And I know that it is a possibility, just part of the nature of the condition. Mm -hmm. So doing what I can to know, keep my stress levels low and, you know, stay indoors if it's too hot. And if I'm doing repetitive movements or motions or going on long walks, you know, I might need to take some breaks and do what I can just to not overexert myself and not burn out really. Got it. Oh, okay. Good. So I'm I'm glad you have a really solid toolkit for yourself now (laughs) of of how to best navigate your day because it could be at any time. So what's life like for you now? You know, fast forward, you're now coaching, you're working with other people. Uh, Your life is very different than when you were working in the salon. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about now. Well, it's kind of funny. There's that saying that hindsight is 2020. And I've always really desired to have a lifestyle that I could work remotely. 
and be able to travel and not be stuck to or tied to one location. And so with coaching now, I'm, I actually am able to travel about and I work with people over Zoom like we are now or over the phone. And it's nice to have that flexibility and building a business from scratch is going to take a little bit of time. So I'm uh, practicing being patient and trusting that this is the path forward for me. Yeah, that's awesome. They say if you want to do any sort of personal development, start a business because you will get it. You will get it. It'll be a crash course in personal development when you start a business. That's cool. It's interesting how kind of the universe delivers what you need or what you've asked for and wanted to you. You just don't know what kind of package it's going to show up in. Right. So if you wanted to be remote and be able to pick up and go, which was definitely my desire too. I didn't want to get stuck in an office or have to physically show up to this place every day. And as a stylist, you know, you got to be in your salon to be able to do the job. It freed you from it, but just, you didn't realize it was going to come in the form of your disability. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely blessings and silver linings in everything that happens to us. Right. Mm -hmm. There's probably, you know, those who are listening aren't going to have the exact same situation as you where they literally have lost the use of their hands like you are, but maybe something else has happened where they're now being forced to make a career change or something really has happened physically to them where they're not able to do what they used to do. Maybe, you know, they've had a stroke or they've, you know, something else. What words of advice or guidance would you share with somebody who's maybe going through something similar as you are right now? Yeah, I would say that these things happen. It is a part of life that, you know, in the coaching world, we talk about how we can't control our circumstances, but what we can control is how we be about the circumstances. So, you know, for somebody like me, I could choose to mope about it and be in a puddle of, you know, feelings of, despair for me and yeah pity party all day long or I could say okay well this is happening I'm going to choose to accept what is here and also this isn't going to be the end for me I'm going to find ways and get creative and resourceful and you know what are the skills that I currently have that I could use moving forward so that this is not the end for me I can continue to have a a joyful life and I can thrive despite and regardless of my circumstances or my limitations. So mindset essentially is what that one comes down to. And what are some mindset tips that you have for people who are trying to move from the pity party that they might be in at the moment, which, you know, I think everyone has at some point to that space where, you know, they're able to take those steps forward. Yeah, that's a great question. The thing that comes to mind first and foremost is I allow myself to throw a tantrum sometimes when I'm feeling frustrated because, you know, I've been moving through the grieving process, but I also think that it might be a lifelong thing. I will have those times where I'm just so frustrated and things aren't working out the way I want them to. And my body's not cooperating. And sometimes I'll I'll set a timer like, okay, I'm going to set a timer for five minutes and I'm going to allow myself to just have a tantrum, throw a pity party. 
and let myself get all of that out. And then when the timer's up, all right, that's the end. Got to get back up and dust myself off and carry on because I'm not going to let that take hold of my life. I think that's great. I think we all need to give ourselves permission to feel whatever emotions we're feeling. And, you know, because there's no such thing as good or bad emotions. They're just yeah. emotions. And and they, we need to release them. We need to release the happy ones. We need to release the sad ones. We need to release the angry ones. But the key is, is not to wallow or sit and stew and stay there forever. Like get it out, scream, yell, you know, throw things if you have to release it and then take a step forward and, and move away from that space. Absolutely. Yeah. I love it. All right. So that's great. What, what other um, little tidbits or advice would you have for somebody who might be going through a transition like yours of moving into a whole new space and figuring out and learning how to do things all over again. Cause I'm assuming you actually had to learn how to use your body in a very different way than it used to function now. Yeah. I would say another thing that I've learned through the process is communicating with people around me, how to get my needs met. Like I can't do everything on my own. Sometimes I need to ask for help. Sometimes I can't reach things up on the cabinets high above. So I will ask someone to help me with that or use a step ladder or there's lots of ways that we can support ourselves. People who have disabilities and find it challenging for walking, you can use mobility aids. There's wheelchairs, there's canes, there's walkers, there's different things that can support us. I even found there's this invention. There are these glasses that have what's called an eye crutch. And it's this little ledge on the edge of the glasses and it helps to hold your eyelid up for people who have ptosis. And so <laughs> I thought that was a really nifty invention and well thought out. And I think just really speaking up and asking for what we need is really important. Were you good at that before? Were you somebody who knew how to ask for help or were you very independent? Like I got this. So you yeah. had to really learn how to like, ask. So yeah. what, what, what was the hardest part about asking for help for you? I don't like asking for help to be honest. And yeah, like you said, I am a pretty independent person. I like doing things on my own and I don't want to feel like a burden or I don't want to burden other people with something that I can do myself. I can take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just the reality. It's something vulnerable that we have to move past that sometimes we need some support or some help with something and that's okay. Yeah. Was there a shame story that you were telling yourself mm. when, it had, when it came to not being able to do things for yourself? Yeah, I, I did feel a little bit unlovable or that I wasn't worthy or that I didn't want to burden other people. You know, difficulty with like financial challenges, not being able to work and having to figure out new ways to generate income that were mm -hmm. so unlike everything else that I've done before. I don't know if I shared, but before the beauty world, I also worked in the hospitality industry. And so um, carrying trays of food, that's a no-go. I also had a small business where I did children's parties. I did face painting and 
you know, dress up in different costumes and go to children's parties. And now um, not really able to do that so much because my hands are too unpredictable. And yeah, so, so all of your career paths prior to this were very physical. These are my money makers. Yeah, yeah. Your hands were your money makers. <laughs> and then you're like, I can't use my hands anymore. Now what? So you started using your brain and your heart as your money maker. Yeah. My ears a lot, um, listening a lot, um, speaking when I can, but yeah, thinking a lot. Exactly. Wow. What a transformation. So thank you for sharing your story. So final question is like, what's next for you? What are you excited about as we, you know, go into this, you know, 2022 year and you grow your business? What, what are some exciting things that you got going on and where can people find you if they want to reach out to you and, and learn more? Yeah, sure. I'm most excited. I'm actually writing a book and it will be about my experience and through this process and things that I want other people who may be going through health challenges like myself to know. So I am saying June, I will have a rough copy written. And by the end of the year, I will have my book published. And then I've also been working on a couple of digital courses that people can get some support from their computer on their own time. And then also I have some coaching groups and programs that I've I'll be offering throughout the year. And like always my one-to-one coaching spots, I have a few that are still open at the moment too. So if people want to get some support just on a one-to-one basis, I'm happy to, I'm happy to help. Amazing. Okay. So where do you love to hang out on social? What's your favorite? Where can people find you? I do Facebook. I do Instagram. I do LinkedIn. I Bolty555 is my Instagram. You can find me there. And then in my bio, I have lots of links to other ways to connect with me. So you can connect with me there. That's B-O-L-T-Y-555. My last name's Bolton. There's a lot of Sarahs in the world. So I go by Bolty. You might know me as that. Excellent. Well, yeah, all your info is going to definitely be in the show notes so people can reach out to you. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story. Thank you so much, Jessica. It was such a pleasure. And if you guys, if you want to connect with Sarah, go find her, find her on Instagram. She is a delight. So funny, hilarious. I love a lot of your content, a beautiful smile always. And you know, you took a really hard knock uh, in life and you turned it into something beautiful and magical. So we love to see these transformation stories here on the show. So thank you for sharing your now what story with all of us. That's it from us today. Go find us on Instagram, Bolty555. Follow me at jess.loves.life. And we will see you back next week for another amazing Now What Wednesday story. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it more than I can say. Did you love this episode of I Just Blank Now What? If you did, be sure to subscribe on your fave podcast platform. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. I do love reading them. And if you know somebody who's experiencing this story or something similar, please share this episode with them. It just might help them figure out the answers to their own now what questions. Have you recently had a now what moment and aren't sure what to do? Reach out to me at jessicastevens.ca and submit your story and I'll help you figure out what to do how to move forward and help you answer. Now what? See you on the next episode.